is actually soup, which is kind of like hot potato Wednesday that happens on Thursday, but anyway, um, we just like to keep you on your toes. I'm glad that you're all here. There seems to be a really positive buzz about the opportunity to talk together about an issue that maybe we talk together in pockets, but we don't come together as a whole community to do that. And I'm really excited that we have people from across our convention here today and our convention reps, as well as a wide representation of the student body and others. And Hugh McNally, we welcome you as we here. And uh, we're just grateful to have this opportunity. I'm not going to natter on because, I, as you know, I could probably go on and on and then fill the time. And that's not what this is about. I'm grateful to my colleagues who agreed to sit on a panel. It was said to me, and I actually had thought of this much earlier on, so it wasn't a, a revelation to me that the three panelists are all men. Interesting, isn't it? Um, but I said that I'm the, I'm the host and, uh, and I lead the panel, so actually everything has to filter through me, so I'm not actually worried about that. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is that although we have three specific people on the panel, this was designed as a time that any faculty in the room, you should feel free to be able to direct a question to them and the faculty should feel free to respond to anybody. So this is an open discussion in that way, but I thought it would be helpful to have a few people to field questions uh, and we have the Old Testament, New Testament, sort of the realm of theology represented, represented specifically and broadly, so this is why we're doing it this way, and we'll see how it goes. We're, we're taping this conversation, but we don't want that to inhibit anybody in any way. So Danny assures me we have the ability before this gets sent or heard anywhere else to remove the comments of, of anyone who doesn't want your comments heard. So we don't want that to be an inhibition for you in any way. You just have to flag to Danny that you'd like your comments removed from the, the podcast before anything happens to it. Is that, is, is that fair? Are you happy with that? Because, again, we don't want to inhibit the, the discussion. Well, without any further ado, you should ask away. Who wants to start us off with a comment or a question? Uh, something you want to ask of our panel or something else, but on the top of the women of leadership would be great. One of the questions I'd like to ask my brothers to respond to is what about singleness and this business of um, male and female female and meaning each other? How does singleness fit into that so that people can still feel whole? Peter was the one who brought that up. Maybe you should answer that. I don't want to take the time. I would put that in the context of the New Testament community. Um, in the New Testament community, um, we read the words brother and sister. Uh, to us, you know, they're, to us it's just sort of church language. To them it was far more. They had given up their family gods when they took Jesus Christ as the one whom they worshipped. And because they did that, they lost significant family connections. And so when they're talking about brothers and sisters, they're talking about really being in a new family relationship. <clears throat> And um, within that context, Jesus, um, he highlights singleness. And Paul highlights singleness as being the best mode for the going on of the kingdom. And um, so I don't see it as a matter of, of 
gender and needing another gender because we do have community. Um, and so for all those who are single, uh, for whatever reason, we should have a healthy church, local church community that provides that kind of other gender encounter and input. I would say too. Uh, <laughs> I would say too that in the pastoral epistles, when he talks about elders and deacons, and one of the lines is the husband of but one wife, that wasn't necessitating marriage; it was prohibiting polygamists. Yes. So we read that as being a qualification to be an elder, when in fact the qualification is don't don't be married to multiple people. And I think that helps us to balance the fact that Paul said it's actually, like he said, better to be single because uh, you can devote all your time to the ministry. And then he says, obviously, that's not the case for everyone. So we need to balance those two things. If I can just say something as well about that, I think that one of the problems within the broader church is when something is mandated that isn't clear from Scripture, such as you shall have a single male priest, um, we can run into problems. And I think there's a, there's a truth that the complementary nature of the genders reinforce um, <clears throat> the strength of ministry. But at the same time, the main thing is that there can be a calling for an individual, and principally the responsibility and the sense of relationship is between the individual and God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as far as I can see from Scripture, the, the, the key thing is really that where the heart is within the individual rather than the relationship of the individual to a spouse. <clears throat> and I'd like to highlight, if you have questions specifically for Dr. Kalaki, that uh, he has to put us away at about five to one. So anything for him, if it's urgent, then get your questions in. Well, I mentioned the discussion is important. Now, uh, the Bible doesn't speak against it's usually painted as a theological issue um, much as we do with a whole variety of things like Dr. Clack has already referred to with you know you have to have a priest who's single or you have to have a pastor who's married um, neither is mandated um, but we turn them into theological issues when really it's an ecclesial issue. Um, so I would see it more on the side of ecclesial, but really we paint it and try to um, portray it as a theological question. One of the, um, it's quite clear to me that in Scripture we have a number of significant uh, women leaders, uh, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The, the problem we have in many ways is that the church divides over some of these issues. And I was um, interested to hear um, Peter Reed talk about the importance of being able to work together within a church context. Sometimes we can cause artificial splits and we can be quite, um, <clears throat> we can take a, a really not just a bias but a prejudiced view against somebody because they hold an opinion which is different from ours. And that, that's separate from the, right, the issue of the right and wrong of the opinion and the evidence for it. I think in, in our society today where we're actually seeing many people leave the established church and join house groups and um, gra very grassroots type churches, even more grassroots than, than Baptist churches, 
we've, we face a problem of, of focusing very much on leadership and um, trying to address critical issues such as um, roles within leadership in terms of gender, when really, in, in many ways, the church is moving past that. We're finding at the grassroots level this is not an issue because we have both men and women leading small groups um, that aren't part of the traditional denominational or established churches. And certainly um, a concern I have is that w within the denominational structure, we can do ourselves a lot of damage by arguing and fighting amongst ourselves um, and refusing to accept and live happily with people who aren't of the same persuasion as ourselves. And in some ways, a sense of harmony and being able to live in love with people we don't agree with within the context of the church, I think, speaks favorably to the nature of Christianity. Can I pick up on that? Um, and this could be for anyone, but just to follow on in that comment, um, I think on the whole, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here, so I'm all for church unity. Um, is, it, is it asking too much for someone to give up an issue for the sake of the church staying together if it speaks right to the core of who you are? Uh, your calling, um, an affirmed calling that you have. So do you see where I'm coming from with that? Because I think, I hope I'm giving voice to something a bit broader here. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, we disagree on whether we should have wafers or 11 bread, yeah. you know, yeah. at communion. You know, that, that's an opinion thing, really, unless, you know, anyway, on the whole. But it doesn't go to the sort of the core someone's identity and their calling and equipping. So, you know, it's easy to say, oh yeah, there's lots of churches out there, they don't believe women in the ministry, and oh, that's fine, you know, and, and on one hand, personally, I don't have to deal with them day to day, it's fine. Um, and, and in my conversations with people, I've never ever said, and, and so you must, you know, agree with me. Uh, but at the same time, there's a real, there is a, a pain that comes with saying, well, I have to agree that you're my brother or sister in Christ. I've got to suck that up. Um, and I've been told that actually just recently by someone who's very supportive said, don't, don't you just need to suck that up? And I went away and I thought, well, do I? And I actually really thought about it. Do I need to just suck it up and, and, and let people be who they are? And then I thought, but you can't just suck it up if it has to do with a brother or a sister acknowledging or, or dis-engaging uh, with the very person that you are in your call and so on. So I don't know if I'm articulating that particularly well, but could, could you respond a little bit to that? <laughs> sure. I'd like to respond to that. You say you only have you know, I, I really take that point, actually. Dr. Roberts made a very good point. If we, if, we, if we change the subject to a white supremacist church, I'd hope that it would be very difficult for any Christian to exist within a church like that. Um, it is an emotive subject, and I think that in a broader sense, we should try to move always on the path towards equality and fairness. I have this kind of picture of heaven, that there's no differential in heaven between men and women. It's kind of a royal priesthood of believers, and, and daughters and sons shall prophesy together, and so on in the New Testament. But, but the issue is, in a practical sense, which is different from the rights and the wrongs, almost theologically, in a, in a sort of ideological sense, is that we live in an age where the church is actually quite weak. Um, 
And I think that sometimes churches can divide and die and split and suffer huge damage over issues that are actually important, but at the same time, the, the time may not be right to confront the church over that issue. That's not to say, actually, that the issue isn't important. And I, I actually feel myself quite concerned for people who have to exist in churches where there is, say, a complementary position and they clearly have a more egalitarian position, or vice versa, actually. Um, I don't know the answer, but at this stage, I think I, I fall down the kind of ecclesiastical line of the spirit will lead the local church, and if the church honestly is moved by the spirit, it may not be at that time they broaden their perspective or change the perspective, but at the same time I think the church is legitimate in following the spirit at that time. I, I guess an overriding perspective for myself at the moment is seeing the strength of the church. We're, we're in a, we, in this country anyway, we're in weak days. And I think that as an outsider who has nothing to do with Christianity, looking into a church and seeing what's perceived as infighting, even over an issue that's as important actually as um, the role, the equality of, um, of ministry, ca can be something which can not just damage the church but also damage the witness. And that, now I conflict with that, on the other hand, by saying on a higher level, I feel actually we should be able to move through that as a church and actually arrive at the right state within the church, but that doesn't always seem to be practically the case. So I'm drawn in, in two directions, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. I've been that <coughs> strength in the church in the end, but well, yeah, I, was, I was actually going to submit that isn't it uh, uh, even worse witness given It's a good point. Um, <laughs> I, 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 um, yeah. it, it's a good point. I mean, it, my, response, my response almost is I can't answer it because I think the church will be moved by the Spirit at the time to address it. And I do believe that the Spirit moves in the church. And if I look back at history, the, the church has not always been moved correctly, understood clearly the moving of the Spirit. Um, it's not a cop out to say that we have to protect the church at all costs. Um, but I, I see... But is it protecting yeah. the church at all? I, well, what do you think? 
Um, I have a very different view on this. Um, I think that when, when the church resists doing what others see as something that is socially just, God moves around the church and takes a different route, just as he does in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God used the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, and others uh, to force agendas on his people when they weren't listening. <clears throat> and so um, if we waited for black apartheid in South Africa to end based upon the church coming to a realization that it would, should come to an end, then blacks in South Africa would still be enslaved in their own land. <clears throat> so I think God rose up um, a social justice issue uh, all over the world among people who were Christian and non-Christian and brought about a change that now the church looks back and says, well, yeah, okay, I guess we shouldn't have done that. Uh, so sometimes God needs to be the one who engineers this outside of the boundaries of the church. Much better for the church to get its head straight and come around and say, we have misunderstood scripture and we're going to get past our present understanding of things, whether it be a racist, a maleist, um, whatever it is, um, point of view, and um, we're going to re-examine that clearly and openly and engage it and move forward. But instead, God has to use law. And I think God does that. I think God uses society to force the church to re-examine what Scripture actually says. Yes, I'm saying, I see, no, and I see, I see the present state and the lack of addressing it as being a social issue and not a theological one. Um, we are, we're really quick to pick up on the safe social issues and rule on those uh, because, well, we've got society backing us. Um, we have no problem making a declaration and enforcing it on homosexuals in ministry, uh, but as a denomination, we will not do it when it comes to women in ministry. So I think as a denomination, we have chickened out where really we need to be much stronger. So, Okay, again. so here's my... <laughs> I, need to, I need to state something more just though. Okay. You're pausing me? All right. No. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I need to say, though, that we are polarizing the issue too much. Um, it's not, first of all, there's kind of, you know, there's multifaceted opinions on it, first of all. But second of all, it's not, it's not just that the Bible is black and white on the issue, right? They can turn to passages and they say, this seems to say that women shouldn't have authority over men, right? So it's not just like there's nothing there and they're just making it up. Right? So we need, to, we need to deal with that and recognize it's not just that they're just blanket against women. They're actually going, they're like me, uh, I believe. They go to the scriptures earnestly trying to understand the issue, and they come to a different position. Now, I disagree with their position, but I think we need to at least acknowledge that they're not just against women ministry. They're actually going to the scripture and saying, I don't think it teaches that women should be in that position or whatever. Now, I'll argue with them about it, and I think, I think my position is stronger from scripture, but it's not to say that it's not there. 
Um, and the other thing is, when he was talking about in regards to culture, I think a good example of this, um, although it doesn't always equate, but as far as the cultural issue, I think a good example of this is slavery in the New Testament. And uh, there's a great verse, it's, it's not super great, but I'll tell you why I think it's great in a second. So it's 1 Timothy 6.1, he says, All those who are under the yoke as slaves must regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, lest the name of God and the teachings be slandered, the, the gospel. Right? So he's saying, accept the position you're in, because we don't want to malign God's God, like the gospel right now. But this is the same guy who also wrote Philemon and said, you need to treat this guy just like a brother, right? So I, um, uh, John Stackhouse was here a few years ago, and he did a Hayward lecture that talked about gospel pragmatics. And uh, those who uh, were in a New Testament class, I, I talked about this adjective that I use of myself. Uh, I'm gospel pragmatic. In other words, the gospel takes priority. And so we stick our shoulder against culture and we push it to where we believe God wants it to be. But we don't do so much so that it maligns the gospel. And so in this example, he was saying he's, he's at once pushing the culture to move to the point that we got rightfully to the abolition of slavery. But at the same time, you he said he's also saying live within the culture such that people aren't looking at you and saying, look how that slave working because he's a Christian now. He's telling them to push within there. And so I think we're at the same position. And some churches are further ahead than others. But it's the same type of thing where we stick our shoulder against it. We say God is moving us this way. We believe that there's no male and female in Christ. We, we go back to the image of God. Um, but it's, it's a very nuanced issue. And that's part, of, that's part of the problem. It involves culture. It involves hermeneutics. It involves both testaments. It involves real people. It involves emotional uh, you know, aspects on both sides. So it, it's just such a, I mean, it's an interesting issue to talk about because of all of those things. Okay, yeah. hey, Peter wants to say something. Is your question related directly to what you're talking about? Yes? Okay, it's already to Peter, or is this following directly? Well, I guess I'm wondering if at some point I can make a comment about the denomination because I Yes, it was I raised. Think I think it's only fair to be able to come back. I'll come, can I come to you after, after the next question? I think I remember my question. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say, my name is Heather, by the way. I just wanted to say that this is really good because this is education. And uh, I have to admit to something um, as well. Um, and that is that um, I've been in, in ministry in what the preachers that I work with consider minor ministry. Um, like music and youth and all that stuff. And I was perfectly fine with that. I thought that's exactly where women should be working. And then I got called to the ministry. So there's a pull and tug, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I think that I agree with Jennifer that there could be more division coming, but could we uh, prevent it with education? Could we see what this issue is and have more education around it? Because I used to not want a, a, a female doctor, and I didn't want a female minister either. But that has to do with my background and how I was raised in the church. So if we could just get more education around it, maybe that would... I really agree, and I think one of, the, one of my hopes is that even if someone holds a complementarian position they could at least start to see, hopefully in conversation with me and others, that 
the egalitarian position isn't just pandering to the culture, mm -hmm. but is actually something that they also go to the scriptures honestly and say, I think it's actually teaching this. You think this. Let's at least agree that we're disagreeing, but let's not, let's not start name-calling and saying, oh, you're just a fundamentalist and a patriarch. Right. Oh, you're just pandering to the culture and just want to be a feminist. That, just, that doesn't get us anywhere. And again, that's a polarizing, and we do that so much in culture now, that we polarize things. Uh, and it's much more difficult than that. And I'm with you, Dan. That could just so easily raise problems mm -hmm. where they don't need to be. Thanks for that point. Peter. Yeah, I just want to make a couple comments. I want to remind us that we're Baptists. So it's not the denomination out there. Hello, <laughs> you are the denomination. Just, just say it, okay? You are the denomination. You are. <laughs> floor, bring a motion and say we don't want to be a, have a economy of local church anymore. Wow, well, we have an interesting discussion. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, maybe it is, but that's the world we live in. Secondly, uh, I'm not sure when that was a fair comparison because, again, the denomination is who? The delegates at assembly voting. Mm -hmm. They make these decisions, not me and not people in St. John's, so please understand <coughs> So, when it comes to these issues, it's what we have said as people together. Well, if you go, if you want to, I know, if you can't sleep some night, go on our website, read the, how many resolutions that we have on there, everything from, you know, airplane pilots getting drunk on planes to, uh, to issues around homosexuality, to issues around pornography, to issues around of unborn, we have spoken together, and those those are the things I can speak about, right? But we have not said as a denomination, as much as yeah, that may that may hurt my feelings, but we've not said as a denomination we must take this position. So I think that I just want us to be a little careful and a little cautious about saying the denomination is afraid to tackle us. You are the denomination. We want to tackle it. You have to tackle it. It can't be just from the top. Otherwise, we're not Baptist anymore. And had, I got to tell you, there are days when I look at my Presbyterian friends and my Wesleyan friends, and I like their system. There are other days when I think, thank God I'm in what I am. It is what it is. We are who we are. I think we have to live somewhat within that system and try to figure out a way to move forward. And I'm just going to say, Anna, it was interesting. One, one thing I'd like to say, the flip side of something you said that, that I one share one little story. Uh, talking with a pastor, his, his life's kind of unraveling, and I said, I think you need to call Reverend Sharon and deal. She, she will help. He said, but you need to know. I don't agree with limited ministry. And so I said, well, that's okay. But right now, your emotional health is so fragile and, and who knows, maybe she'll refer you on to somebody else. 
but you really need to talk with her. And believe it or not, he took my advice and called her. And what was really funny was the conversation. First thing he said to her was, you need to know I don't believe in women in ministry. She said, that's okay. But can we agree that maybe God has called me to this place and, and I want to help you? Well, all right. Because for him, I think it was far less theological than a cultural kind of norm that he had adopted. And they were able to actually work together and she was helping him work through some of his issues. So, you know, I know that's a tough way to go because it still feels like you're not being fully respected and I understand all that, but there is a bit of that reality that we live in. Yes. If you're happy, you're happy. We, we never asked you to be on a panel. No, no, no. Because it, it kind of falls. I mean, I, I think having been in ministry as a female for over 16 years, I, I think the thing that I can't get past, I understand that colleagues may disagree with one another, and I don't have an issue with that. It's the blatant disrespect that I have that I find so unbiblical and so unchristian that when you spoke in chapel on this scripture lesson about recognizing our gifts for ministry, when I have a male colleague, you know, really denounce the fact that it shouldn't be a ministry, then, you know, what kind of respect are we showing each other in Christ? And I think that's the thing that bothers me even more than the issue. I've been fighting the issue ever since I've been called a ministry. I, you know, you get tired of it after a while, but it's, for Pete's sakes, go back to Scripture Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors, you love yourself. Let's respect each other beyond the boundaries of what we see as gender issues. That's what bothers me. And that's why, you know, when I go to convention and I'm told I'm less a pastor because I'm a woman by my male colleagues, that cuts to the core, and I believe that is unscriptural and wrong. And that needs to be addressed more than anything else. Greg, do you want to on this? Well, being one, and I had a conversation with Jennifer, and again, uh, you know, I would say that everyone in this room, I think it would be fairly safe to say, as staff, our personal convictions very much line up with what Peter has said this morning and what we would long to see. But we respect also the system in which God has put us. But here's what, so Peter has said, and I, he's right, I've used the term, if you go back even to, you know, even to our faces of union of 0506, where there were probably some convinced what we today would call complementarians, likely in the regular Baptists, as I would understand, as well as some more egalitarian, finding a unity together. So we said that's never been a test of fellowship. It could become a test of fellowship. That's what Peter's saying. If we wanted to divide the convention, it can become a test of, of, uh, of union if the delegates approve it. Because, yes, I mean, the council can bring recommendations, but they don't fly if the delegates don't own them. But I'll tell you what is a test of fellowship, at least at the Board of Ministerial Standards level. They're almost always questioned on it. And that is, is if they do articulate more of a complementarian position, what is sought out is, can you work respectfully with others who do not share that view? Can you work, if you're in a neighboring pastor to a woman pastor, are you able to work fully, equally with her? 
And I would say, while no one can speak for the board but the board, my observation is that's a deal breaker. If they cannot come and work um, respectfully and respect the differences. So that's, I can't, beyond that, of course I can't touch on, I'm sure you've experienced what you've experienced, Dale. But I'm just saying that that would be things we would not want to see. We think that goes, at least again, when the board wrestles <coughs> we would say that's outside uh, tolerance in a sense. We're not willing to have, we don't want those types. This is Greg speaking, not the board. <laughs> but generally speaking, we, we pursue that. I've seen the board pursue that repeatedly with me. And I just think it needs to be pursued in a bigger context, though, right? I mean, I think that's, you know, we can debate the whole male-female issue. We've been debating it. I mean, I remember the first day I walked into the, the school here, and I had a male colleague who I, you know, just met face-to-face, -face, introduced myself, tell me that I didn't belong here because I was a woman. And I said, look, buddy, I got a year's leave of absence. I'm from Newfoundland, and if you want me out, pray me out. Other than that, I'm here to stay. <laughs> we develop the utmost respect for each other. We still disagree with each other. But it's, it's learning to respect. And I think that's the deeper issue that I find. Um, and I think when we begin to learn how to respect each other and see each other in a whole different light and in the eyes of Christ, I think then we can move forward with the issue. But until then, I, I think we're stuck. I really do. And I find it so difficult, you know, when, like I said, someone looks at me and just kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's, you know, I would never extend that to anybody else. Thank you, Gail. Glad you said <laughs> uh, we're, we're running a mindful of time. Uh, we need to finish really at around 20 past, so I'm going to come back to the panel for summative comments. My hope, though, is that this is a starting discussion to show that we can actually talk about difficult things that we feel strongly about, but in a respectful way. And I hope that this kind of thing is repeated not only in other topics, but maybe on this topic in a number of different venues. I don't know, even know what that would look like, but I know it's, it's a... It's one that is, it's right for a lot of people at the moment. But, so thanks for your questions. I'm sure there's loads of you who have lots more you'd like to ask, but you can have those conversations as time goes on. So Glenn. Um, so I'll do two things. One, I'll, I'll respond to Peter, and then I'll, I'll give a somewhat of con, uh, comment. <laughs> uh, Peter, I was very careful. I said the denomination. I did not say the administration. And so when I said the denomination, I meant the floor. As yeah, a denomination. It's so confused with people, and that's yeah, I, I was very clear. I yeah. said the denomination. I didn't say the administration. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I came, I've come through a, a process in my life. Um, I started probably as a complementarian. I could have very well have been um, subordinationist. I'll use subordinationist, complementarian, and egalitarian. Um, I don't remember what I thought about women when I was a young man. But as I moved in ministry circles, I realized that there were women who were gifted. And my initial approach was a complementarian. That is, you have to have somebody who makes the decision. And who's it going to be? It has to be a man. And then as I began to study scripture more detail, and I was confronted with some, some of my notions... 
I realized, you know, where I read that the Bible says that man is superior, um, I'm reading in what I think is there, not what it actually says. So, for example, when Paul says the, the woman was created second, you know, we take that to mean and therefore inferior and subordinate. And that's not what Paul says. Um, if we had time, I would give you a whole different spiel on um, both Genesis and what I think Paul is doing. But in Genesis, there is the fall. It was mentioned this morning. Hopefully people do know that it comes from Genesis chapter 3. Um, and in that, there is what is often referred to as the curse. And the curse is put on the woman and the curse is put on the man. Well, again, read your Bibles. It doesn't say that the man and the woman are cursed. It says that the ground is cursed and the snake is cursed. The man and the woman are not cursed. It doesn't say it. It doesn't give commands. But as men, we really like to enforce the side that gives us prominence and downplay the side that gives the woman prominence. Because in that it says, men, you are going to have to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. And we will do anything to get out from under physical labor, but we will not allow women to get out from under their side of the curse. That is a sexist approach to it. It is just wrong. But then we come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Paul in the book of uh, Timothy, as he's talking to Timothy, basically undoes that curse and says, in Christ, woman, not women. One of the problems that Danny highlighted is translations. And the translations gloss over a whole variety of things and they fix stuff so that it sounds good for us. And in that, there's a switch between multiple and singular. Women are rescued by the birth. And men have wanted that to be barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. And it's talking about the birth of Christ. And in the birth of Christ, the curse is undone. Whatever happened at the fall is undone. Christ does away with it. And so I can no longer hold biblically to the notion that women are subordinate to men. Because I don't think the Bible teaches it. I think the Bible teaches the opposite. That women have been released from whatever might have happened at the fall and have been released from the bonds of societal expectations on this. We do have to take care. But when the church is behind society, I just find that that is more than tragic. So for me, it's not just a social justice issue. For me, it is a biblical issue justice issue, and a right reading of scripture, and taking care with the translations that we use. You left me two seconds, that's good, thank you. <laughs> well, I'll just say quickly, too, my, uh, I grew up in a, like, a Christian, uh, in a Plymouth Brethren context, and so I grew up complementarian, we enforced head coverings. 
Uh, I'd say for a period I even went to, to kind of the extreme hierarchical com complementarian where women shouldn't do any aspect of ministry. Uh, in my college days, I would say I took a pendulum swing to the feminist position, and I've come to rest comfortably just a little to the, to the right of the center uh, as I looked at the scriptures. And I'll just say quickly, one of the kind of where the light went off in college is when I was reading the head coverings passage, which at the time I was still brethren and thought that was the right thing to do. And all you guys who don't do it are all sinning. And I realized that he was telling this to women who were participating in the service. And I, I couldn't get past that. And that <laughs> is where it kind of all unfolded for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you have other questions about the New Testament passages, I prepared about 10 pages of notes and read one point so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, yeah, again, it's that, I just, I go back a little bit to that gospel of pragmatic, using that adjective, that the kingdom and its advancement takes priority even over our own wants and desires and our own, you know, I agree with you, it's, it is a personal issue, but we still bow and we say we want Christ to be praised and we want him to be held high. And at the same time, we put our shoulder against culture and we push it forward to God's ideal. Um, and, and this is one of those places where I think we keep on pushing in our particular context. And at the same time, the gospel pragmatic issue means that sometimes even guys aren't the right choice in a ministry position. Sometimes women aren't the right choice in a ministry position. And we leave that up to the spirit and we seek to follow him in all of that. So. Thank you. Thank you both very much. want to uh, acknowledge and appreciate Anna's leadership in bringing us to these kinds of discussions because this is the first of three. That's the first thing. want to say that I believe it's God-ordained that we have with us today some very significant leadership, not only in the college but in our convention. And I just appreciate the fact that the convention has been wrestling with this for some time. And recently, again, uh, in terms of some things that came to the floor of the assembly a couple of years ago. And I appreciate what Glenn and, and Danny and Chris have done, and, and I had to make sure that Chris had informed you all that he had to leave. So I thought, that was, I thought phew, that was good. Uh, so anyway, um, I think this is a very difficult area. My concern is that we would be brave and courageous to educate and that's the purpose of Acadia Divinity College, is that we're involved in theological education where we will wrestle these things through. And I appreciate what Danny said about all the prepared notes and all that. I think that's excellent because it forces us all to rethink these things. What Glenn said about things that may come from outside, I sat where Peter's now sitting. I did that for almost 11, well, I did for 11 plus years. And I know the, the difficulty of knowing when to initiate something as a convention staff person and when to respond. And I think, for me, um, this issue is one that's been in my heart for a long time. And in this role that I now serve in, I'm thankful that in this institution we have, I think, maybe a freer opportunity as uh, K. Divinity College faculty uh, and to engage with students. Uh, two quick things, and I'll be quiet. One is, I am really concerned about a rise of a new reform movement that has come. Uh, they are not slow in saying what they think and believe. There's an education process that's going on. 
And so in that education process, there's a lot of black and white issues in terms of, of these issues. And this is one area. So that's a factor that's out there. You talk about movements that rise up. That's one that's rising up. And it has many faces and, and so on. But I'm really concerned even when I see some of our graduates or some of our students who are quoting people from it as if it's just all great and glorious and wonderful without testing it. So that's, that's a concern to me as a president of a seminary in particular. So I think the voices from within the convention need to be strong to articulate education of what we and how we understand scripture. Finally, I want to acknowledge the presence of Hugh McNally, honorary degree recipient of Acadia University, great friend of mine, um, someone who is, has this passion for years, and Hugh's sort of working outside in the sense he's part of it, of our convention, but this passion has led him to form a chapter called the Atlantic Society for Biblical Equality. I'm on the board, happily so. Uh, some of you in the room are members of this society, you need to learn more about it, because in a sense, that's a group that is, I think, sensitively and happily working to bring something forward without an edge that's going to cause, I hope it causes some chafing, but I hope it doesn't cause burning. I hope it causes change, and perhaps that group can bring something from the outside to the broader group. These are days of, of uh, searching on this. Final comment, we'll pray together and be gone. Um, the final comment is, I personally have held an egalitarian position for a long time, and uh, for one of my first ministries was privileged to invite Sarah Crawford to work with us and later to see her ordained in our convention. All along the way, I just I couldn't understand, and I still have struggles trying to grasp, because I personally understand that what Jesus is doing and what the Spirit is doing is creating a new order, and that includes new relationships, and, and I just see this desire for restoration from before the fall, and I recognize it all. God has privileged me to travel the world as a vice president of the Baptist World Alliance. I'll never forget the largest Sunday school in the world when Jimmy Carter stood up, President Jimmy Carter stood up in Birmingham, England in 2005 with the largest Sunday school, probably 18,000 people there that morning, and proclaimed that God intended for women to serve beside men and with them as equals, and they booed him. They booed from Eastern Europe, they booed from Africa, they booed from India. All over the world, this is a huge issue. I can tell you that over 50% of the pastors in China are women. Fastest growing church in the world in China. This is such a huge, huge issue. Let's not diminish it. We want to work at it. We want to give it our best, but I think education is really where we, we really need to be. Hey, can I just make a quick announcement? Sure. I know you're trying to wrap up. <laughs> we uh, okay. we are working. Uh, Harry and I have a conversation. We're working at um, having a dialogue, and we'd like the first one to be here at Acadia in September, uh, where we have a very well moderated dialogue between those who hold an egalitarian position and those who would hold a more complementarian position, so we can hear and listen to one another and do it in a very respectful way. And the other thing I just want to say briefly. I think it's an apology to any of the women who were at that assembly and deeply hurt and offended. I would say some of us went into that session naive and ill-prepared for what happened. Uh, we also were trusting people to play fairly. Uh, we had a Q&A the day before where we hoped we could talk about those things, 
people didn't come to the Q&A, they just came to the floor very clearly with an agenda to, to take things in a certain direction. So, but I need to apologize and say, I, I feel really bad that we in any way let you down and, uh, and we have heard. So anyway, I'll just stop. Let's stand together, we'll pray, and we'll go from here. Thank you for that word, Peter. Hugh being the president of the Atlantic Society for Global Quality, and Glenn being a member, has brought a number of brochures. So those of you who are interested in a group that's being raised up to look at some of these issues, primarily the women's issue, but also racism, uh, please uh, pick up a brochure and you'll hear more about that. Thank you so much for the spirit of discussion. Um, the, the issue for me as a president of the institution is we can talk about anything in my office or anywhere else, but, but we do it with love and in respect, and that scales prayer, and that's really uh, who I'm going to ask to pray. Would you pray as we end up? I think that is, yeah, it is. It's called Empowering Leadership. Let's pray together. Our loving and holy God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather brothers and sisters in Christ if we have come together, Lord. We've come to discuss issues that are upon the heart and mind of us all. And I thank you, Lord God, for honest and open discussion. And our, my ultimate prayer today would be, Lord, that we would see the good in each other, that we would love you with all of our heart and soul and mind, and that we would cherish and love each other as you have called us to love ourselves. Lord, it's not only my prayer for this room, but it's beyond and the wider convention that and the churches that we all serve and all love. Lord, in everything that we do, may your name be glorified. So I pray, Lord God, as the college continues to challenge this issue, that your spirit would fall fresh upon the faculty and all those who would be teaching and directing and educating, that your spirit would be upon each one so that they, in a loving, caring, but yet go forth way, Lord, that your name would be glorified and that together men and women in Christ would be recognized as being equal. Lord, we give you thanks for this day and for this time. And we thank you for the fellowship of believers. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we now pray and declare. Amen. Amen.